Welcome to the Share Chair podcast, Stories from School, where we tell each other stories and we learn from listening. Listeners, back to the Share Chair podcast. Uh, I'm excited today to have a friend, Steve Zwinkowski, uh, with us today. Say hi, Steve. Well, hello there, everybody. Looking forward to this, I think. All right, Steve. Oh, it's going to be great. So Steve is a teacher at Fruitport High School and teaches English, and I'm excited to hear about uh, his story. So uh, so Steve, why don't you maybe want to talk a little bit about your family? That's what most people talk about as we get to know okay. you. And then I want to talk a little bit about uh, parts of your life and passions and career and stuff like that. So. All right. Well, um, I'm one of six kids. Um, Five boys, one girl, and of course my sister was the princess. She would deny that, but she was all right. Anyhow, uh, my parents were both uh, first generation born uh, in the United States. uh, Their parents came from Poland, uh, so I'm 100% Polish American, so I know about all that good healthy food. Uh, We grew up in Ohio, where that's why my loyalties are with Ohio State and then Michigan State, and then Michigan, but I generally support the Big Ten. But we grew up uh, in 1968, we moved to uh, the Detroit area, uh, Livonia, because my dad was transferred, and I graduated out of Livonia Public Schools way back when uh, Nixon was in the White House. (laughs) <laughs> so let's date everything. All right. So we, so I love that we have some connection, right? Like uh, your Polish heritage and your family, also Polish heritage in my family, and uh, uh, both from the Detroit area, both yeah. ended up here at Fruitport High School. <clears throat> you know, but I guess some differences with the Ohio-Michigan fandom and the, uh, I was not alive during the Nixon era, for instance. So a well. uh, little difference <laughs> in that generation. But I love that uh, we have that gap, but we're still, uh, still buds. So... What, uh, what about, your, now you have kids and grandkids too, yep. anything you want to say about, yeah, uh, more I about have your family? Two, I have two daughters, uh, Samantha married to Nick, and they have two kids, uh, Shelby, who is a uh, sophomore at uh, Comstock Park High School, and her brother Braden is a freshman. Uh, Shelby plays tennis, Braden plays baseball, he wrestles, pretty much, uh, you know, stays active, their grades are good, all that good stuff. My younger daughter, Kaylee, is married to Sean, and they have three kids. Uh, Shawnee is in, uh, let me make sure I get this right. (laughs) Shawnee is in fourth grade. Uh, His sister, Brooklyn, is in third, and Kingston, their brother, is in first grade. They're at Northview uh, schools. So, so all your grandkids are in West Michigan. Yes. And yes. but how did you come to West Michigan? If you grew up in the okay. Cleveland area, is that right? Cleveland area, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, and then you went to Livonia, which is a Detroit suburb. How'd you come yeah. to West Michigan? Okay. Well, um, in my previous life, I, I was in the business world. We'll call that previous life. Feels so long ago now, but was in the business world, and um, I was a salesman. Uh, customer service rep, but uh, ended up being a salesman, uh, was in their Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania territory. But previous to that, through work, I lived in Kansas City. I lived in San Francisco, uh, went to Pittsburgh, and then there was an opening uh, in the Michigan sales territory. And um, we moved, and I moved to actually Rockford, Michigan, because my kids graduated out of uh, Rockford Public Schools. Okay. Um, and that was um, 
Well, I, I left sales in uh, 1998, not exactly on a positive note, but big life change in 98. Well, I was hoping to talk about that, so okay. maybe we can go for that now. So, so some people like jump into a career and they go to university right out of high school and jump into a career. I happen to follow that path that I went and wanted to become a teacher and got a job right out of college. But, but you had a huge, uh, you got into teaching uh, like in the second half of your adult life. Right. I don't know if that's a fair statement to say, but, but a big career change in the yep. middle. And so uh, I think that sounds like something uh, uh, we'd like to hear about. Okay. Are you comfortable sharing like sure. why you made that change and how you made that change? And Eventually, I want to get into you know why you love teaching today, but let's talk, let's kind of go in chronological order, like the journey. Okay, maybe. okay. I, I graduated from high school in 1973, so it's 50 years is coming up. Holy oh smokes. man! <laughs> and you look good. You look young. Okay. Well, it's all about attitude. But um, my original intent was that I was going to pursue the world of academia. I wanted to be a college professor. I wanted to write books, I wanted to talk about Shakespeare, I, I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to be a college professor in the English department somewhere. And I, um, you know, you find your way through your detours. That, that's kind of how I look at life. You ride that roller coaster, take the ups and downs, just keep going through the detours, and you keep trying to go forward. Well, what happened was uh, I had taken some bad advice about halfway, about my third year of college or so. And, um, and I left college, and, and, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but, but I left thinking, all right, I'll uh, figure out what I want to do and take about a year or so and work, and then I'll go back and finish college. Well, that go back and finish college took about 25 years. <laughs> so I did not, so I, I got an associate's degree in a couple years, did that by 75, but I did not get my bachelor's degree till 1998. So a lot of, a lot of detours along the way, but, but I will say this, that when you take 25 years <laughs> to get your bachelor's degree, people seem to understand that when you, uh, get off the stage after you get your college degree and you cartwheel in front of the board of trustees, which is what I did, um, <laughs> I felt I was entitled to that. So I, <laughs> so yes, I cartwheeled in a cap and gown in front of the board of trustees at Davenport College. That's how long ago that was, because now Davenport's a university. You took a break from your university studies and sure. stuff, and part of that was because you were busy working, right? And you talked about, I mean, when you said you lived in Kansas City and San yep. Francisco and Pittsburgh, that was all career and job stuff, right? Sure. And you sure. had a family and you had kids during that time, right? Sure. And then, uh, and so then, uh, and then getting back into uh, finishing your college and then becoming a teacher. What uh, uh, was, you said something about academia and being an English professor at a college level. Is that the connection to how you decided to become an English teacher? Like th did that come full circle, your love for books and, well, and Shakespeare you mentioned? Okay, let me tell you about 1998. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was the year where everything changed. Yeah. Okay, so in 1998, I had received my uh, 
my bachelor's degree. I'm not, I don't want to bang the table. <laughs> okay, so, so I received my bachelor's degree, and it was a degree in marketing, not in English. Oh, I didn't know that, well, but it was okay. back in the business yes, world. Okay, yes, yes, Makes sense. It was, you know, more or less employer paid. But in 1998, I had parted company with the company for whom I sold. Let's just say that um, um, things, things were not going well, so I, I was no longer employed. But I had just earned a bachelor's degree. And so in 1998, my personal life, let's just be honest, it, it was at a low. So I was unemployed. Uh, my divorce was final in 98. And I had, of course, my two daughters. But what I had <laughs> was non-cancelable uh, non plane tickets to Florida <laughs> at my largest customer's beach house on Captiva Island. Now, I had to call the guy and say, I'm no longer your salesman. Oh, that's okay. You earned it. You know, you can still use my beach house, which was fine. But I probably shouldn't have gone if I was going to be fiscally responsible because I went down there with no job, I had no car because my company car was taken, uh, and basically I had you know little little money with me, but non-cancelable plane tickets, so I had to use them. So I took my daughters with me, and they were at the age where they slept in pretty late. But I woke up every morning with a cup of coffee, and I walked the beach, and I talked to dolphins. As cosmic as that might sound, but it, but it was a life changing experience every morning to talk to the dolphins and say what am i going to do now what like am a, i going to do almost like a meditation or a therapy absolutely yeah so absolutely so some quality of time with yourself your thoughts and cosmic dolphins <laughs> okay so so always in the back of my head even when i was a salesman even my best days at a salesman i knew i wasn't as happy as i wanted to be in a career and i always wanted to get back to books and writing and being in front of people, teaching, talking. I mean, I like an audience. And, and, and you know, people say teaching is part theater and part teaching. I mean, it's, 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 it's a combination of all that. So by the time that week was up, I had made an appointment with Aquinas College, uh, with the, uh, the English department head, because I knew, you know, maybe I'm not going to ever teach college but maybe I will at least teach. Mm -hmm. And Aquinas had a program where you could get a master's in education, and they would also give you a uh, major in the uh, subject area where you wanted to teach. So, And uh, you get your teaching certificate, absolutely. too. Yeah, so absolutely. it's a nice package, yeah. Absolutely. So I got my teaching certificate, and I only needed two more classes to get my master's. So I, my first semester of teaching, maybe, I don't, maybe I'm getting too far ahead, but... Um, so I finished uh, at Aquinas uh, summer of 2000. Well, actually, I had my teaching certificate summer of 2000. I was able to go looking for teaching jobs. And I thought, well, uh, at the time, I was about to turn uh, 45, which is older than most starting teachers by a couple of generations, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's just the way it goes. So uh, I, I um, thought, well, I'll just take the first job offer I can get because, you know, I, 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 you know, 
I want to teach, you know, mm -hmm. I, I want to do it. And Fruport uh, was not the first job offer, but it was the one that I said, all right, I'm living in Rockford so I can commute for a year. And then after a year, I can go look for a job where I really want to go <laughs> because I don't want to drive back and forth. Well, I just kind of knew that the first day at Fruitport, it just, it just fit. It felt like home, I hear sometimes. A absolutely, that. absolutely. But I'll be honest with you, I was fairly scared. The first day of teaching, I showed up about, I showed up about uh, 6.30 in the morning, maybe 6. It was early. I had a cup of coffee, and this is back in, you know, the old building, room 144, my first classroom. And I'm thinking, okay, if this doesn't work, I'm dead. I'm 45 midlife career change if if this for some reason does not work what am i going to do so i was nervous but by the time i was 10 minutes into my first hour class so this would have been through parts class of 04 but i had freshmen then uh i just knew oh this is this is good this is a good fit i'm comfortable there's interaction and and it just feels natural it'll be hard but it but it just feels great I was home, as you said. I hope that uh, whatever career somebody gets into, that they can have that feeling. Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel the same way, too, about being in education and being a teacher. There's days, I sometimes say it this way, there's days I, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to school. Yeah. I'm like, maybe my throat hurts a little bit. I yeah. could probably justify calling in sick today. Then I think it'd be more work to make sub plans, and so I just grumpily um, you know, drive to school. But as soon as I walk in the door to the building, as soon as I walk in the door, door to my classroom everything's better I'm fine I'm ready to go and I think that's a good sign and so yep. Uh, yep. I'm glad well so now this is your uh, now I think I know right because I even though you're older than me I've been teaching here longer than <laughs> I'm you older by, than one, everybody. <laughs> by one year so this is your 22nd year I believe right uh, yes yeah yes. and this is my yeah. 23rd year yeah. so we kind of got hired in the same era yeah. and uh, and you're still here and you're loving it and and you're glad you're here and you're glad you're a teacher. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I still look forward to coming in every day. I do not miss many days. I mean, I'm fairly healthy, but um, I, as, as you said earlier, you know, you don't like to miss days. Yes, you got to, you know, prepare sub plans and stuff, but I, I, I would much rather come to work than stay home. I, I just look forward to coming in every day. I mean, I... You know, the books that I teach, uh, you know, the uh, assignments that I give and the interaction. And plus, where else do you get to work with your best friends? I mean, that's a big plus. You talk about your colleagues, the oh, other teacher absolutely. friends. Oh, that's, absolutely. That's absolutely. Absolutely. What, uh, so tell me what uh, you love about being a teacher what, or an English teacher specifically if okay. you want to. Well, um, you know, ever since I could read, going back to first grade, I have... You know, I've had an affinity for books, and I love to pass that on. I mean, I get to teach One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which after uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, I think is the number two American novel ever. Okay. <laughs> and I've been teaching it now for not quite 20 years, but uh, I'm still finding new discoveries in it. And, and to me, that's a sign of a good book. Do you read the novels the students are reading every year along with them? Oh, sure, so. sure. Yeah, I, I guesstimate that I've read um, 
one flew over the cuckoo's nest maybe 30 times. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, but and I'm still finding new things. Yeah, you know, I, I also teach the last lecture, which becomes the um, kind of summative project for senior English, which, you know, we'll get to after, after spring break uh, into the wild. But I, you know, when I taught freshmen, I really love teaching uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which to me is the great American novel. And, you know, I, I, I've, you know, got kids excited about Of Mice and Men. You know, I've had fun teaching that. And as much as I dislike The Great Gatsby, <laughs> and I'm in the minority on this, and I, you know, sometimes I feel bad, it's but I enjoyed teaching that because I, I like the challenge of teaching a book that I did not particularly like. And I taught that the one year I taught uh, uh, juniors. I'm not sure that's a that's a small minority. I think there's in plenty the of people in the English department. Who... It is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, gotcha. I'm thinking the the public there. So, what? Uh, well, what is your all-time favorite book? My all-time favorite book has to be The Once and Future King by T. H. White. Ooh, I'm not familiar with this. Well, book. Well, it's there... it's a retelling of uh, the Arthurian legend, King Arthur. But in The Once and Future King, you have The Sword and the Stone, that's the first book. And, and I, it's been so long since I've read it, but there's another book about um, uh, uh, Sir Lancelot, is, uh, The Ill-Made Knight is that book. Then there's one where Arthur comes to power, and then the sequel is The Book of Merlin. There's just something about how when Arthur is uh, growing up, and Merlin is his advisor, and he does things like turns them into animals, and they're flying over the land, and he says, what do you see down there? Well, I see land. Do you see any territories? No. Then why do we fight over them? How do you fight over something you can't see? And the first time I read that, I was just moved by how powerful those kinds of concepts were. Well, how old were you when you first read that? I, I was, uh, I believe, maybe 16 or 17. I was still in high school when I read it. Okay. Yeah, my sister-in-law told me about it, in fact. Well, I would have guessed, based on your social media posts and things you like to share, that your favorite book would have been one of mine from uh, from Mitch Album. Sure. And so is, uh, is 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 that near the is that up on your list though? That Tuesdays with Maury well, and some of his other stuff. Tuesdays with Maury, I will say, is my favorite nonfiction book. Okay. Yeah, because um, <clears throat> is that book part of one of your classes or curriculum? No, no, but I I, I did teach it. Um, I think this uh, maybe my second year teaching because um, I had sophomores, and I remember I thought, well, let's get clever. Let's have Tuesdays with Swanee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of bold, I suppose. But but the thing about Tuesdays with Maury is the first time I read it, I thought it was just okay. But the second time I read it, it was when I had just lost my brother. So the whole concept about um, death ends a life, not a relationship, it really hit home. And that book affected me like no other book. So, and then when I lost my dad, I reread Tuesdays with Maury. And, you know, it, it, the whole idea about death ends a life, not a relationship, you know, we, we lose people. You know, they pass away, but we still talk to them. And it's not that we're losing our minds, but you kind of think, well, what would my dad do in this situation? What would my brother Ed do in this situation? And, and their memory goes on. So my 
probably favorite connection with Tuesdays with Maury is that Mitch Album was at the Froenthal a couple of years ago. And through connections I had with MCC, Paul Pretzer, um, and, you know, a couple of other people, um, they set it up where I could introduce Mitch Album. I remember to that. the audience. They were excited to do and, that. And that was exciting. And, and, and uh, what a humble human being Mitch Album was. And I said, Mitch, I know you're here to talk about your new book, at, which at the time was The Next Person You Meet in Heaven. Um, I said, but in my introduction, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on what Tuesdays with Maury has meant to me. And, and I hope that after you hear what I have to say about it, you'll be kind enough to sign my copy. And he says, well, heck, I'll sign it right now. I mean, he was just that regular of a guy. Yeah, I remember you telling this. So, yeah. so people might not know this, but we have a, a mutual interest that we play uh, pub trivia together, oh, sure. right? Team trivia, <laughs> and we've played a long time. And we have a lot of laughs, and and uh, uh, miss getting to do it as much. And and uh, uh, what's fun about our squad, right, is that we have all have our little areas of expertise. Yep. And so, uh, two things that always impress me is how on the spot you are with Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> trivia questions and uh, movies and Oscar stuff. Yep. And so, I, I mean, I guess that kind of relates to books and relates to English, but can you talk a little bit about like maybe where your passion for Shakespeare or where your love of movies came from? Sure, sure. The best teacher I ever had, well, actually I had two in high school. Dorothy Trosco, who, um, English teacher, unfortunately, I understand, has passed away, ALS, you know, Maury's situation. Oh, no. Uh, but um, she taught me how to write, as did Ronald Quick. Ronald Quick taught me, uh, I had two classes with him. One was rhetoric, which taught me how to organize my thoughts, get me writing, and that was a research paper. But I also had him for a Shakespeare class. So that's where my passion for Shakespeare came about. I mean, in ninth grade, we read Romeo and Juliet. And yeah, I found that interesting and things. But, but when we read things like Hamlet and Othello and King Lear and Merchant of Venice in the Shakespeare class, oh, these are the ones. Oh, these are the great plays. So that meant a lot to me. Uh, and then when I taught the Shakespeare class here at, at Fruitport High School, you know, when you teach a class, you just sort of relearn everything you know about it while you're teaching it. And, and that's where I picked up a lot of it. But Dorothy Trosco also taught me how to write in rhetoric, too, was the class where we, uh, uh, we watched a movie and wrote a review of it. We saw some artwork, wrote a review of it. We went to a play and it was Count Dracula was the play at Meadowbrook. Uh, and we wrote a review of that. So, and, and then I also had her for a philosophy class and why philosophy was part of the English department at Livonia Stevenson, I don't know, but <laughs> I took the class and it was worthwhile, so. And so, uh, so Shakespeare was, my impression, right, is that kids, students, teenagers, the ones mm -hmm. we work with, uh, don't love Shakespeare. They find it, you know, cumbersome, you know, like I've yeah. heard it said that you pretty much have to translate it from like Shakespeare's language into like our English language before you can like understand and appreciate it. But but uh, did you discover that, that they had a tough time with, uh, well, with Shakespeare? Or did students uh, learn to love it like you did a little bit or start to learn to love it? 
Well, you have to convince students that Shakespeare spoke English. <laughs> I mean, it, although the first time that they see it, 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 it sure feels like a foreign language. So um, Diane Kennedy, who was my mentor when I started teaching, um, she told me about, well, why don't you hurl Shakespearean insults before you even open the play? So we did that, and basically, uh, you use Elizabethan English, Shakespeare's time, because it was Queen Elizabeth, um, and it's an adjective, an adjective, and a noun, and you just yell them at each other. So if you let a kid yell in class, you get them hooked. And so they got, I'm not going to say, you know, they were experts with the language, but they at least realized, hey, this might be fun. Give me an example of a Shakespearean insult. Uh, okay, if I put you on the spot, is yeah, that... Yeah, you're uh, putting me on the spot, but that's okay. That's kind of part of teaching, is being <laughs> on the spot. Um, uh, sure. Uh, you... <laughs> you owl... No, sorry. You onion-eyed uh, rapscallion. <laughs> and onion-eyed, if you think about it, it's teary-eyed, so weepy, mm -hmm. you know, not very masculine. And then, but I couldn't tell you <laughs> the other part of raps. Oh, rapscallion must be a rascal. Something so, like okay, that. Okay, so this is like, an, a, like a legit Shakespearean oh, insult. This is not one students could make up or something a like absolutely, that. So, absolutely, absolutely. So. But, but what they would do is, is make their own combinations, and then they would translate into modern English. Yeah. So that would take a few days to do that, and then we would open up the play. Okay. So. And how about, how about movies? What's, sure. I, I mean, I know you love movies, and... Yeah. Well, okay, imagine this. Back in the 1960s, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of six kids, so we would load up the family station wagon, and we would go to the drive-in. And it's drive-in theaters. I mean, we still have the Getty, right? But uh, over in Cleveland, you know, we had either the Canal Road drive-in or the Cloverleaf. Those were the two. And we probably went, you know, two weekends out of the month and it was probably five bucks a car, which was a deal when you have six kids. Yeah. And, you know, we'd load up the cooler with all kinds of snacks. My mom would make a bunch of popcorn. Remember, my dad had always the red licorice, <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And we'd see, you know, it would be uh, maybe three movies and cartoons. And I was maybe seven years old. And I would stay awake for all of them. And, and I have vivid memories of sitting on the tailgate of the station wagon looking up above the top of the car. Because this is, you know, there was one little speaker you, yeah. you hook on the driver door, driver window. And, um, you know, nowadays it's through the radio. But, but I, those are some great memories. So even as a kid going to the movies. And then my mom had movie magazines, and I would always read those. And then I, I owe a lot to my brother, Ron, uh, who was a big movie fan, and he would take me to the movies sometimes, and we'd have discussions about movies. So, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I've uh, taken film classes in college, uh, and I just, you know, I, I look at movies as another way of art. I mean, some people go to art museums, I go to movie theaters. Well, yeah, so whether it's Shakespeare or books or movies, sure. they're stories and they're telling Absolutely. stories and, uh, Absolutely. And, and people connect to those. Sure. And so uh, 
What about, uh, now I think one of the successes of your career teaching right, is that you created a class, right? Yes. Like a film class. Is, is that still being taught? Yes. And so you study movies as the class, or movies and books together? And well. You combine writing and. Okay. And, um, what's, the, what's the name of the class again? Okay, the class started out as film as literature. Film as, as literature. As literature, because years ago we had um, <clears throat> uh, English 12. Um, before I started teaching seniors, and it was basically British literature. So we, as an English department, kind of put our heads together, and what could we do for seniors that would get them uh, more interested in senior English, if that's one way to say it? So we came up with what we called senior options. And we had um, six of them, I believe. We had advanced composition, Shakespeare and his contemporaries, the one I created, film as literature, you know, a couple others. And so the idea behind film as literature is you look at film as another narrative form, another way to tell a story. So, um, you know, so you look at what's called a literary read, which is the same way you look at books, plot, characters, theme, message, that kind of stuff. But then there's a dramatic read, the way you look at plays. So you look at acting, costumes, makeup, directing choices, sets, and then there's a cinematic read, which is the stuff unique to movies, camera angles, special effects, things like that. So if, if I have a legacy at Fruport High School, it's the fact that that's the class they allowed me to create and run with, and I think it's been a success, but through scheduling, this is the first year that I'm not teaching it, and it's now in Joanna Bubalt's capable hands. Okay. But but we have renamed it. I think we renamed it a couple of years ago. It's Film Appreciation now. Film Appreciation. Well, it sounds, uh, I definitely think that that's left uh, like a legacy kind of mark that uh, you talked about. Yeah, I know that you also have some acting uh, experience. You've been on stage with like local productions. And and uh, I remember a story with, uh, with uh, you know, jaw-dropping numbers of what your scholarship was like <laughs> right out of high school involving theater. So, I mean, to me, books, movies, Shakespeare, theater, like really fits together. Is there anything about like theater and uh, your, sure. uh, how you got into that? What's what, Sharon? Sure. Sure. Uh, well, we could go back to high school, and in 10th grade, I was not much of an athlete. I ran cross-country, but I realized girls didn't really come to cross-country meets. <laughs> and, I and, you know, I'll be honest, I wanted to meet girls. And I thought, well, you know, if I get involved in a play, because I certainly wasn't going to make the football team or the basketball team, I had no athletic skills, but I had no problem being on a stage. So I thought if I shared a stage with a girl, they'd at least have to talk to me. So I got involved in the plays, and that's what I did. And in high school, back then it was three years, 10, 11, 12, senior high school, I was in every play for which I auditioned, and I did competitive uh, forensics and things like that. But um, so when I graduated from high school, I received uh, $300 in drama scholarships which I took to Schoolcraft College, which... Which sounds like chump change, a $300 scholarship sure. today, but... But this is 1973, and $300 paid for my first year's tuition. First entire year, two semesters, because credits then were $11.50 a credit. $11.50 a and credit. And if oh you took goodness. over 15, credits were free. So I took 20 twice. 
So for $300, I had my first year of tuition covered. So $300, you got 40 credits of yeah. community college yeah. and, uh, in Livonia, Michigan. Right. <laughs> but, but then you asked about acting, and then um, I had the drama scholarships, but I was never able to participate in any plays in college because I, I was working. So then in 2000, uh, 2004, Muskegon Civic Theater was putting on To Kill a Mockingbird. Wait, wait, you had a gap from the 70s till 2004 yes. before you appeared on stage again. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, 19, well, I graduated in 1973, and so 04, that's 31 years, if my math is any good. 31 years, okay. So To Kill a Mockingbird and with Muskegon Civic Theater, that was my first play as an adult, and I auditioned just because I knew To Kill a Mockingbird, been teaching it and things, and I was fortunate to, um, to earn the role of Hectate, which is sort of the voice of reason, although he gets Atticus to lie a little bit at the end. But it, but it was a great experience. And periodically I get involved. I haven't done much with Muskegon Civic in a while, but uh, Grand Haven Central Park players, I've had some success with them. Diary of Anne Frank, I was Otto Frank. Death of a Salesman was my last one. But I, I, I sure do miss it. Uh, I typically don't go after musicals because nobody wants to hear me sing. And dance. <laughs> or see me dance. Or so, see me uh, dance. So, you know, maybe get back on stage again. I mean, I hope so. because you uh, brought up legacy, maybe uh, so we don't run too long. Maybe I'll kind of wrap things up a little bit. So okay. is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to that you were like, oh, I was ready for this topic or this question? Well, all right. Look, I'm, um, I'm 66 years old. I'm the oldest teacher. I don't know if I'm the oldest employee in the building, yeah. but I know I am the oldest teacher here. Maybe the whole county. Well, <laughs> but I would never say that I'm the most mature teacher here. Look, I, I at my age, you know, I, I have fun. I've been lucky, you know. Uh, I've had my, look, life to me is you ride a roller coaster. You ride a roller coaster through the detours. And I've had my detours, and I've had my lows, and I've had my highs. And what I think what I've learned about life, maybe this is what you're looking for. Well, okay. Well, yeah, let me just go. So what you've learned about life, well, well, maybe this is kind of the transition. We usually end with share some piece of advice for okay. our listeners. And, and maybe it's a separate answer, but maybe this is what you're about to say. What okay. have you learned about life, Steve okay. Zwinkowski? Okay. Look, number one, I am not... <laughs> I am not the sage of the universe. I just know what works for me or what has worked for me. But, you know, life, life throws you curveballs. It throws you these detours. I keep coming back to detours. I mean, it, you know, it took me 25 years to get my bachelor's degree, as an example. Um, you know, um, at, at 64, I'm 66 now, but at 64, I finally found the right person is it's not one big thing after another. Here's what I've learned. It's one little thing. You appreciate those little things. And if you get enough of those little things, then life becomes a big thing. And that big thing is that life is good. Yes, you get your obstacles. Yes, you get some negatives. I mean, you, you know, you get your tragedies. Everybody has those. I mean, I buried both parents. I buried two brothers, but you know, you could dwell on that, you could be miserable, or you move on. You know, you, 
you know, like Maury teaches us, death ends a life, not a relationship. You, you, you still try to find a positive. You keep going forward. You know, I, you know I, I'm lucky that I have Barb. I'm lucky that I have my kids, my grandkids. I mean, I'm a lucky guy. Well, I'm sensitive to tone that you're appreciative of things and appreciative yeah. of, of small things. And that sounds like good advice for people to appreciate, right? Absolutely. Whether it's a, a cold beer or a, a fried pierogi. <laughs> or oh, wait, a, we can a talk brother, about beer? <laughs> <laughs> or a, uh, you know, a, a, yeah. a friendship, a relationship. Sure. And uh, ah, I think that's a great way to... Uh, to, to end our time together. Steve, thanks so much okay. for sharing My uh, pleasure. for sharing your story with us. Uh, I hope people enjoy it and that they can uh, benefit from it too. So. That's it for this week's episode of the Share Chair podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the Share Chair. Listen on our Spotify and SoundCloud or on our website, thesharechairpodcast.com for more.